Stone's Notes by Stone Consulting. I'm Maureen Stonehouse. On today's episode, I'm talking to Megan Gilbert, resident geologist at the Saskatchewan Geological Survey. We'll be discussing the Belly River Formation in Saskatchewan with reference to Megan Gilbert, Louise Boutas, and Robin Renaults scientific research paper titled Stratigraphy and Depositional Environments of the Belly River Group Companion in Southwestern Saskatchewan, Canada. Some highlights include discussion of the first formal recognition of the Belly River facies, depositional environments and stratigraphy in Saskatchewan. We're rocking out today with Megan Gilbert. Welcome to Stone's Notes. Hi Megan, thanks so much for joining me to talk about the Belly River today. No problem. Thank you for having me. So in this paper, the Stratigraphy and Depositional Environments of the Belly River Group, Companion in Southwestern Saskatchewan, Canada, you talked about the Belly River Group and its associated formations and formally recognized them for the first time in Saskatchewan with the facies, depositional environments, and a stratigraphic framework. So why do you think the Belly River Group was formally recognized in Alberta before, but not in Saskatchewan? Uh, I think that's um, partly because there isn't a whole lot of exposure in Saskatchewan. The Belly River Group is really famous because of Dinosaur Provincial Park. It's used a lot as a teaching tool for a lot of up-and-coming geologists, but you just don't have that same um, really obvious, beautiful exposure in Saskatchewan. And uh, so I, I think it was just kind of overlooked because nobody really thought to work on it in Saskatchewan. Why work on it in Saskatchewan when you can work on it in and have these beautiful deposits in Alberta, right? So true. I think that's one of the field trips that every geologist has been on and everyone has a picture on their wall of the Horseshoe Canyon, right? Oh, yeah, it's so famous. And uh, you, you just don't get that in Saskatchewan. It just, it's just it's too deep in the subsurface for the most part. So one of the things that you did look at was the outcrops in Alberta and Saskatchewan. And to generate the depositional environment to use these outcrops, the wireline logs and cores, if we were to do a road trip to check out some of the outcrops that you looked at, where should people go and what would they see as highlights along the way? Well, I mean, Dinosaur Provincial Park is the classic example. I didn't really include Dinosaur Park in, in this paper um, because it's been so well studied, but I used it as like a, a comparison. Uh, one site that I did use um, is right along the Alberta-Saskatchewan border. It's called Sandy Point. It's actually a campground, so you can go there and actually walk around and have a look at some of these deposits. And uh, it's it's along the South Saskatchewan River, just north of Medicine Hat. Uh, probably about 40, maybe maybe more than that. It might be more like 40 to 50 kilometers. It's just south of Empress. And uh, you can get a really good idea of what the Old Man Formation and the and the Dinosaur Park Formation look like around there. And if you were to be really ambitious and go into Saskatchewan to the east a little bit, you'd get a good idea of what some of those Bear Paw Formation uh, deposits look like as well in that same area. I think we all have a new camping spot now. Everyone's going to be at this summer, right? <laughs> it's a beautiful. It's a it, it's a beautiful campground. Everybody should go. Um, yeah, it's it's it, it's a lot of fun. As as far as more into Saskatchewan, you you do get small outcrops here and there along the South Saskatchewan River, closer to Swift Current and area. But the best deposits are actually um, almost on the Montana border in a place called Woodpile Coulee. But uh, uh, it's part of a, a PFRA. So PFRA is like an agriculture pasture that people can. Um, 
basically uh, put an application to to put their cows on. It's like a community pasture, and you have to have special permission to to be there. So if you're if you're not a scientist or somebody with actual reason to be there, then you can't get there. So you have to get some special permissions. What yes, the- I did. <laughs> One of the findings you had was that there was the foremost formation, old man formation, and dinosaur park formation, which makes up the Belly River in Alberta and Saskatchewan. But then in the study, you added the, I might say it wrong, the Nikanat member. Um, Nikanit. Nikanit. Yes. Nice. And so that was the transition from non-marine clastics of Belly River to the marine shales of the Bear's Paw above. So where did you get the name for this uh, member? Uh, that name actually comes from history. So uh, Nikanit means foremost man or front man in Cree. And uh, that was actually a historical person. So uh, back in the 1800s, when the Northwest Mounted Police had just been dispatched to Western Canada to uh, deal with some of the uprisings that were going on in the West, uh, part part of what happened was uh, Sitting Bull came to the Cypress Hills right after the Battle of the Little Bighorn, and um, that would have been in the in the 1880s, and a bunch of other. Uh, groups met him there, and one was a, a band of of Cree people led by this guy named Foremost Man or Nikanit. And uh, when they forced Sitting Bull to go back to the United States uh, later in the 1800s, uh, this this group was the only one who refused to leave the Cypress Hills because they wanted a reserve there. And uh, the government tried to force them out and they just wouldn't leave. And eventually in, uh, I think it was 1913 or 1914, that they actually gave them a reservation. And it's named after that guy, even though he passed away in 18, I think it was 1897, um, they named the reservation after him. So I thought that that was a nice tribute considering it's the Nikanit Cree Nation. I thought that was a nice, a nice uh, acknowledgement to history and, and the area. Yeah, it really is. It sounds like it was a very special area to them. So great idea. So the foremost formation consists of seven facies within a coarsening upwards wave-dominated shallow marine succession. And one of the neat features that you mentioned in your description was that you saw dinosaur tracks in the backshore facies at Woodpile Coulee. So how rare was this find and how long did it take you to find it? Uh, it, it's not super common. Um, I think now that people are looking for dinosaur tracks in the Belly River group, they're becoming a little bit more common, but, uh, that was definitely the first track that I had ever found entirely on my own. And I wasn't looking for it. I just happened to be in the right light at the right spot in the right time and kind of looked at it and went, that kind of looks like a dinosaur track. And, uh, and that's what it turned out to be in order to get to Woodpile Cooley involves, um, so jumping through some pretty tremendous hoops of, uh, as, as I've mentioned before, of gaining permissions and talking to the right people in the federal government and doing all these different things. And then to get there is like, it, it truly is in the middle of nowhere. Like I, if, if you think you've been in the middle of nowhere, you haven't been to Nashland community pasture and Woodpile Cooley. It is literally the middle of absolute nowhere. And um, basically the only way they'll let you into it is if you're on horse or if you drive a vehicle at a certain point in time when they're, when, when it's wet enough and the grass isn't going to light on fire and then you have to hike into the site. And so, um, yeah, it, 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 would, it was a tremendous, um, I guess it was a tremendous feat to even get there. And then to, you know, just happen to have the right light to actually see some of these features was just a stroke of good luck, I guess. Uh, so yeah, it, it required a bit of a bit of work. 
Nice. And it makes it way more worth the trip too. When you find an interesting find like that, what else did you see there that was interesting? Um, in the foremost formation in particular there, uh, there's a lot of really, really beautiful trace fossils, a lot of ophiomorphized, you know, some of those really classic shallow marine um, trace fossils that are, that are really diagnostic of, of shore faces. There's also a few um, microvertebrate Locate lo, lo, localities there too, which is basically like a, a mass accumulation of really small bits of, you know, random animals and sometimes plants as well that tend that, that for whatever reason that bend in the river or whatever it is that accumulates that just happen to be good for sorting out, you know, pieces of animals that are in these rivers and stuff. So, um, and another interesting thing about that site is that it's all uh, structurally controlled so a lot of the a lot of the beds are actually nearly vertical uh and and nobody really knows why it's just kind of this random place in the prairies but you get there and all of a sudden you know you have these beds dipping at like you know 34 to 40 degrees and it's like why is this happening there's been some some thoughts of maybe it's something glacial or maybe you know from some of these intrusions in montana maybe you have some fingers coming through and and um tipping the beds and stuff but it's a really unique place for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. The almost vertical beds would be neat to see. So on top of the this- prairies, it's pretty rare, for sure. Random prairies, and you find these vertical beds pretty strange. Yeah, normally a pretty flat area, right? Mm-hmm. So on top of the foremost is the Old Man Formation, and that had seven faces you identified that were exclusively alluvial. So now crop, you were able to identify the paleocurrent data, which would be really neat to see. What did this tell you about the drainage in relation to the old man and its surrounding areas? Uh, really, I found that it conformed with other studies that had been done further, well, what would have been further inland at the time in Alberta. Alberta was further inland from Saskatchewan because of the Western Interior Sea. And uh, Eberth and Hamlin had published a paper in 1993, I do believe, that suggested that their paleocurrent data uh, indicated uh, the old man was mostly sourced from uh, the southwest. So um, Montana would have been the source area for a lot of the sediments coming in and the, and the rivers that would have been feeding these systems. And essentially, I found more or less the same. So I was just corroborating other people's work and proving that, yes, in Saskatchewan, we're basically getting the same thing. Nice. Was there anything else that was interesting and kind of a key characteristic in the old man? Uh, the, the beds tend to be a very... Um, they, they tend to all be very lightly colored. So kind of a buff sandstone or buff siltstone in wireline logs, you get a really strong gamma kick. So it, it reads as really highly radioactive. And typically as a geologist, you'd look at that and say, oh, well, we, we must be getting a lot of mudstone or claystone or something. But uh, it's actually the opposite. These, these beds are so high in potassium feldspar that they read as highly radioactive, but they're not actually uh, in, indicative of muds. They're indicative of these, you know, feldspar-rich sandstones. So it might be easy to overlook some of the channels just due to the gamma ray reading so high. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So on top of the old man, there's the dinosaur park formation. And you had that with nine facies and pluvial esterine at the base and then increasingly marginal marine at the top. What did you find for the correlation between the fluvial-dominated channels within it and then the tide-dominated channels? And do you think it's an important to make the distinction of where it's fluvial and tidal when you interpret the Belly River? I guess it really depends on, on what your objective is in describing the Belly River and describing the dinosaur park. The main 
characteristic that was actually key to identifying that was the trace fossils. And it, and trace fossil analysis was really key to a lot of the interpretations I made in, in this paper. But you basically had uh, a lot of the same facies that maybe looked fairly similar, but when you actually looked at the trace fossil assemblages associated with them, they really spoke to the difference in environment between the fluvial and, and the more marginal marine facies. So in the fluvial facies, you'd be, you know, maybe you'd get some scolithos or something like that, maybe some Paleophy- yeah, pa- pa- paleophycus, planolites, things like that. But uh, in in these in these marginal marine channels that were also like you know you get your classic inclined heterolithics and stuff, but they'd just be full of marine trace fossils. And uh, if you didn't have those marine trace fossils, you wouldn't necessarily know that you're getting some kind of brackish water influence. But you don't get marine trace fossils unless you have some sort of marine. Uh, influence, right? They just, you get continental trace fossils, freshwater facies, uh, marginal marine and marine trace fossils are, are, are really stuck to those kinds of facies. So that was how I knew that you were getting some of that marginal marine brackish water influence. And did you see more of the marine influence further east where you were closer to the historic paleo shoreline than further west? Yes, for sure. You, you like really the facies that you see in Saskatchewan, um, you get far more marine influence far earlier. And obviously, like because you're getting closer to that paleo shoreline, like the, the dinosaur park in particular is quite thin as you move you know, further, f- further east. So yeah, like you, the, the faces that you do have are far more obviously marginal marine than they are in Alberta, for sure. Yeah, that would make it really unique. So the new, I'm going to say it wrong again, Nicknat member, you had it divided into two faces, an estuarine one um, with lagoonal basins and a barrier island deposit. With it being kind of 12 to 50 meters thick, do you think it has potential to be an additional reservoir unit? Or maybe it was previously a reservoir unit and just named as Dinosaur Park? Um, It is a known reservoir. Uh, It's actually a gas pool. And they think it's being sourced from a lot of those coals in the Dinosaur Park. There's a lot more coals in the Dinosaur Park in Saskatchewan than there are in Alberta. And uh, they think that that gas pool is is probably sourced from those coals. Um, It was actually included in the Bear Paw originally. So, so generally people were lumping it into the bear paw because it, um, it was considered to be marine. And I really wrestled with that distinction in my head. I was like, should I, you know, just keep it as being part of the bear paw or should I, or should I have incorporated into the dinosaur park? And because it is marginal marine and because it is such an obvious, uh, signature, like where you get a transition between things that are quite different, I decided to put it in with the dinosaur park. Um, it's, it's really easy to pick out in the subsurface when you do it that way. And so I thought that maybe that was a better direction to go in. That's kind of a neat one because it's already been discovered and now it's just being recharacterized, seeing different um, traces in it, different characteristics, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. There wasn't a whole lot of detail put into it when it was characterized before. So it was probably quite a while ago too, right? It was, it was a very long time ago. So you had quite a few isopac maps in your study, and in it you could see areas where there were thicks and areas of thins, and if you were to stack the maps, you could almost see them um, on top of each other. So did all of the formations in the Belly River erode into the formation below when it was a channel deposit? Yes. Uh, every, every boundary between all of the different formations are disconformities. And so you are getting erosion, and you do have some missing time in between all of those different formations. So yes, that's why you get all that, like all those irregular surfaces and stuff. 
Yeah. And it makes so much more sense when you look at all of it as one package together, right? As a standalone, you might not figure out what's happening in that formation, why it's not deposited there. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So what's next for the Belly River? Uh, I'm currently working on a paper on some of the sequence stratigraphy of all of these units in Saskatchewan and expanding it into other, you know, for, for further north and further east as well and, and back into Alberta to kind of, you know, link all these different things together. Um, I'm also working on some papers characterizing some of the paleoecology of uh, some of the microvertebrate sites that I found when I was doing my PhD work. So that's what I have immediately going on. But uh, as, as part of this study, I've kind of expanded into looking at other formations as well. Like I'm uh, looking at the bear paw and, and some of the later Mistrichthian, like the Frenchman formation in, in Southwest Saskatchewan and, and doing a lot of other different things now too. So uh, yeah, it's kind of just expanded into this massive project on Southern Saskatchewan. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear about the Belly River in Saskatchewan. Cause like you said at the beginning, it's so famous in Alberta, but you don't hear about it in Saskatchewan as much. So thank you for sharing this, it was really neat. Yeah, you're welcome. No problem. Stone's Notes is brought to you by Stone Consulting. We can be found online at www.stoneconsulting.info or send us an email anytime at stoneconsultingcorp at outlook.com. On behalf of everyone here, I'm Maureen Stonehouse. Thanks for joining us. Until next time.